Hi, this is Tony Silva. And Charles Wiz. And this is episode number 147 of uh, Two Teachers Talking, uh, where Charles and I get together to talk about all the different fascinating aspects of teaching English, uh, specifically teaching English in Japan. And um, we often, usually too late, to kind of think about um, interesting things to do with our April 1st episode, um, all kinds of little practical jokes, which we realized pretty much probably good idea that we didn't do those things. And it's the beginning of the school year that's right on the horizon for, for folks in Japan. And um, we often talk about um, how to begin the year, et cetera, et cetera. We've done that a lot. But you can't do this anymore. About, about why? <laughs> why? Why uh, are, are we doing this? And should we? But um, that's that's going to be that's going to be the meat of it. Um, but uh, maybe before we sit down to dinner, so to speak, uh, maybe some appetizers. What do you think, Charles? Hmm. Appetizers? What were you thinking of? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But before we start, you have to mention yeah, like to- we have to mention Tony that uh, you're in an interesting situation. You're in Mexico and you're yes, in your house, but you don't have your usual equipment and your usual layout. Why don't you describe to people? <laughs> I don't. I don't have much of anything. Actually. Yeah. So basically, yeah, what I'm, you're I'm doing, kind of, I'm kind of in a an in between state here, kind of kind of a limbo, where I'm here and I have the things that I brought with me uh, in my suitcase and the things that I've purchased since I've arrived. But um, I'm really kind of hung up because there is a, um, a card. I, I have a visa. I have a four-year visa, uh, but I, I need a residence card. And unless I have this residence card, uh, everything is on hold. So I can't do things like uh, open a bank account or get a real SIM card or buy and register a vehicle or have my, uh, my, my our goods from Japan shipped. So even though I'm here in Mexico, my all our stuff is in a warehouse in Amagasaki. <laughs> waiting, waiting someday to be, be shipped over here. So, um, yeah, the the technique and the, the the house is large. I think we maybe we mentioned it last time, especially by Japanese standards. Um, but it's all tile floor and stucco walls, and it is a huge echo chamber. So, as I record, I'm sitting in a, a bedroom, and there are two borrowed beds, and on one of the borrowed beds. Are my two suitcases that are open with my clothes in them, and then one of the suitcases that's closest to me is my uh, is my MacBook recording Air. studio, <laughs> my recording studio, my MacBook Air, and my trusty Samson microphone, and the the shades are pulled down to reduce the echo in the room, uh, and uh, and here I sit, <laughs> and it's and yeah, and it with with a thirteen inch string and thirteen inch screen in front of me. So it's a hey, it's a when, challenge. When, when the going gets tough, the tough go pro. Hey, it's, <laughs> that's another time zone, I think, right? Something like that. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what the quote is, but that sounds like something Thompson would say. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. It, it's interesting though that 
in the modern world, our modern technological world, that even with those limitations, you can still record and make a reasonably yeah, and, good uh, recording. Yeah, and we're really lucky that, um, you know, really very, very lucky. Well, it's, it's kind of a new development that um, I haven't been able to <laughs> – I probably need the card for this too – to upgrade my um, the internet service. I'm limited to like uh, – 50 down, and I think going up, it was only like 10 or 15. But uh, yeah, still in this room from where the router is, seems like we're okay. Hopefully. Yeah, fingers crossed. So we'll hope that um, you don't cut out. Yeah. And, okay. All right. Okay, well, I want to throw something in, Tony. Yeah, yeah. Um, two episodes ago, we did. I did the interview with uh, George and Nat about coordinators. And I saw George the other day, and I asked George, what did he think about our comments? And George was surprised. He said he and Nat were surprised. They weren't aware that we would be making comments about what they talked about. And I mentioned to George, I said, I'm really, really sure that I had told you that we would do that because we always do that. But since both of them were surprised that that happened, then I have to – you know, just want to make a public apology and let everyone in our listeners know that George and Nat were not aware that Tony and I would be commenting afterwards about their what they said and what they discussed and what they talked about. And I'd like to just uh, apologize for that because I don't know if that would have changed things that they said or how they approached the discussion. But if they didn't know, um, and I have to take responsibility for that. And I just want to say sorry. And um, there's my apology. And um, really, uh, um, I don't know what else to how to add to make it. Other, the more I talk, it's going to sound less sincere. But real a sincere apology to um, Nat and George about that um, error on my part. So anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's too bad there, there might have been some kind of gap or some kind of um, – miscommunication but um i've got nothing but um have received nothing but positive feedback on it so unless they were well again well one not just not knowing that there were that their that their discussion was be subject to <laughs> analysis or discussion which can be yeah that by itself can be a surprise but uh, certainly well, um nothing that 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 was you know in, in the content that was like less than you know interesting and and positive. Yeah. Yeah. What I've heard from people has been nothing but, you know, positive remarks and people saying they want to work for these guys. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, again, yeah, yeah. again, if they were not aware that we would be commenting, then there's, that's, mm. that's definitely wrong. And I yeah, have to take yeah, responsibility yeah, yeah. I, for that. I, although I was really sure that I said that because we always do a rapper. You know, yeah, on well, everything. So anyway, I, it's, I, um, I have to take responsibility. I guess they don't, and, guess right, they don't listen to the show. <laughs> obviously, they don't listen to the show. <laughs> In fact, I think um, George was there and Allison um, was overheard the conversation because I was talking to George. And she's like, don't you, they always do that? Don't you listen to the show? <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, right is right, right. and wrong right. is wrong. And I made a mistake and that's on me. So um, I put that in, you know, to on my list 
checklist of things when I interview people, you know, okay, you're aware that Tony and I will make a comment on it, you know? Um, so I want to make sure that doesn't happen again, but I just wanted to let people know that that's what happened. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Anyway, let's move on to this discussion. I think that's really, really interesting that we were kind of talking about Tony, you want to uh, frame it or put it out there and, uh, see where we go. Mm. No. Uh, uh, well, um, it, it, it partly, I think like the, it came up as, as part of our discussion of the discussion you were just re- referring to when you were talking with um, Nat and George and uh, uh, in our uh, analysis or, or our comments discussion uh, about the interview last month came up. We talked about the uh, the issue of why English or the purpose or even the you know, should English. And, uh, you know, it came, it came up in our discussion. I said, well, let's, let's do that another time. He says, oh, let's, let's do it now. And so, so that's kind of where it came from. And, um, it, uh, seemed at the time that we were coming from different perspectives, but I'm not, I'm not sure that that's true or not. We'll find out in the next hour or so. Um, but, um, if, if, if I could, I'd like to frame, the um, the uh, the approach is uh, kind of fork it into into two different things. One uh, being the value in today's world of um, foreign language education, uh, and as one, and then as the second, specifically um, English education. English is a foreign language education in Japan and uh, the uh, the 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 value therein and so maybe we could get that so those kind of two things to uh, talk about and discuss okay so yeah yeah well we're really talking about the value of liberal arts education in a way right I guess so yes yeah. And in this sense, I think you and I are in complete agreement about this. And I'm a firm believer in what is known as a liberal arts education, or shall we say, an education that is not a career skills path education, and one that is designed to expose young people, usually 18 to 22 year olds, to a wide variety of ideas and thoughts with the goal of helping people learn to live what has traditionally been called the good life, or the righteous life, or the right life, or a correct life. Would you say that's a reasonable definition we can work with? I can I can go along with that. Yeah, you don't. Well, you don't sound too enthusiastic. Well, it's it's it, right. It, it it sounds a little you know. Okay, stuff, but right. I, but, I, but yeah, I, I know, you know what, what you're what? saying, I, and so I, I'm, I'm with you on the intent. Yeah, the, when I say a right life or the righteous or a correct life or a good life, the point is it, it's the goal of education should be to help the person come to an understanding of what that means for them. What is the path for them? 
So would yeah, you, you I mean, be okay I might with use that the word? Like a quality life, right? Like to increase okay. quality, just like the enrichment, quality of life. Um, yeah, I would. I, I would go with quality. Of life okay. Myself. All right. To okay, let's or say to increase someone's depth of awareness. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I think that we are seeing the effects of what happens when people specialize and are not exposed to different kinds of thoughts, whether it's philosophy or literature, art, music, especially history, by the way, sociology, anthropology. In other words, a wide range of subjects and knowledge that forces um, the student, the learner, the university student, to actually be challenged in their beliefs and what they believe to be right or wrong. And, you know, I don't know how, how best to say it, except that I remember when my daughter was at that, you know, college, beginning to think about college, and my wife wanted me to go attend. Uh, um, there was a visit organized by um, like a group of liberal arts schools from the United States came to visit my daughter's high school. And there was a meeting and a bunch of parents were there and it was designed for parents. And I remember that one of the liberal arts um, representatives talked about how their graduates had gone on to Goldman Sachs to work at Goldman Sachs. And this is, you know, not that far away from 2008. And I'm kind of like, dude, I am not sending my daughter to your school if you think that's a positive. <laughs> yeah, and as, as, a, as, as an outcome of a liberal arts education. Exactly, exactly. It's like, okay, uh, I don't think you guys are doing your job. And they went on and talked about how, you know, their graduates got really good jobs, had, were incredibly successful financially. And oh, you were talking to a salesman, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I just said, excuse me, what I'm interested in knowing is how are you going to – Take my daughter's brain apart as a freshman and rebuild it step by step, brick by brick, build a foundation so that she could go on and live a truly meaningful life that leads to improvement of the world, right? You know, total liberal, <laughs> you know, kind of idea. Sure. And I remember that. You know, the guy, that, that guy was like, well, you know, that's really American of you. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, fine. And I remember that a couple of the representatives from some other schools, two schools that I really, really liked, um, and I've heard really good things about. In fact, one of my friend's daughter went to, and these two representatives came up to me and said, wow, we just really wish more parents thought like you did. And again, but that's coming across as an educator. So we're talking about the need for people to be widely read, knowledgeable about the world. And, you know, I'm going to say that I think it's more important to have breadth, breadth than depth. You know, I think people just don't know enough about things. And we see that in the current world situation where, you know, ask people yeah, how much do they know about the history of, you know, what's going on in the world right now, you know? And well, it's, 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 it's an interesting problem because there's, there's, you know, we have basically in the 20th and the 21st century information explosion. And there's just so much to know. Um, and over-specialization um, 
you know, there, there's, there's only, there's only, you know, your education. You've only got so many minutes a week. Um, you've got only so many days a year. Um, what do you put in? What do you leave out? Is a very, very, very difficult, um, problem. And, uh, it, there are no, there's no easy answer, right? And um, you can, you can, you can screw up going either way by too broad and too shallow, or going too deep and too specific. But uh, certainly, um, <laughs> these days, the the trend certainly is um, t- trending in that uh, in the area of over specialization, where the breadth of exposure. Uh, in learning uh, of the past is kind of given way toward something more build sold as uh, more pragmatic um, with um, very which much with much more um, pragmatic goals like like a job at Goldman Sachs which is I, I agree with you unfortunate yeah yeah. Well, there is, of course, the trend towards skills-based t- education, that practical yeah. bent. And that's what we're really talking about. Right, like, right. And there, there really are two different things, right? Right. The education is not training. Yes, exactly. Training, skills skills yes. are training. Education is something else. Right. And learning is involved in both. But sure. But when we talk about education and, you know, in terms of transparency, both of us were lit majors, right? Yep undergraduate were lit majors. So we're both yeah, you know, yeah. very much liberal arts. And I remember always feeling like I don't know enough when I would read a novel and we'd be, you know, discussing, let's say, some <laughs> poetry or novels or whatever that like, oh, I don't know enough. I remember, <laughs> you know, so one of my, one of the, sure, great, the yeah. universe. Yeah. Yeah. That was my whole undergraduate. Right. Why don't I know this? Right. Everybody else knows this and I don't know this. Yeah. And I remember that this was really driven home one day in a, in a class when the professor we were reading, I, 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 don't, I don't know the specific novel we were reading, but I remember that it was a, you know, British novel. 19th century. And the professor turned to us and said, who was the prime minister of the country at that time? <laughs> and we were like, and I remember we're all like, you know, we're like, you know, the you know the hell? second year students, you know, basically what the hell? I'm not a, I'm not a, when somebody actually said, I'm not, a, I'm major. not a history major. And the teacher was really nice and obviously had set us up for this discussion, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? That good teacher, ha- ha- right? A good teacher, yeah. It was it was a really really good good teacher. Um, and and I used teacher rather than professor. Um, and his point was, how can you understand the novel if you can't understand? If you don't know about the political, the politics of the time, if you don't understand sure. the economics, if you don't know what were people reading, what was the popular music? Um, yeah, what were they eating? Yeah. Exactly, all, exactly. What did they do in the evenings? How did people read? And it was such a wonderful experience. And it was amazing that by the next week, because this was kind of reasonably early in the semester, a bunch of students had dropped out. Whereas for me, I was just enamored by like, oh, this is going to be fun. I'm going to be spending a lot of time in the library. 
And this is back in the days when if you wanted to find something out, you had to go to the library. Yeah, I remember that. Remember that? This could insert. Oh, do I, do I? Yeah. I was on a first-name basis with most of the librarians at my university. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was there all the time. So anyway, the point is that this person in a liberal arts field, literature studies, right, English and American literature, expected us to be not incredibly knowledgeable but minimally knowledgeable about – the country, the culture, the period that we were reading about. And I remember how that enhanced the reading. I was able to understand so much more that was being referenced and talked about. And the, and the, other, and the other part of this is like not, not, not only expecting you, you know, whether or not he, he or she expected you to know these things, but pushing you to go find out on your yes. own. Yes. That's yes. – that's, that's the that's the thing. That's the thing about it. That's a good teacher. Yes. And that was just part of being a lit major. And by the way, talking about skills training, I um I was um looking for a job at one point and I was in an interview and it was like a company with let's say 75 people, 100 people. And I was being interviewed by um somebody in the company and the president walked in and um, said, oh, let me see this guy's resume. And he just said, okay, just end this interview now. You're just totally worthless to us. You're an English major. And I looked at the person. I said, excuse me, but I think actually I do have value for you. And he goes, oh, yeah? And I said, yeah. As an English major, I was taught how to learn. I was taught how to solve problems. I was taught how to analyze things. And if I didn't know something, I was taught how to find out about it. And he's like, okay, we'll take you. So <laughs> – in that sense, right, that it, you do learn a lot of things. You learn how to learn, which I don't know if there's anything more valuable or useful than that. But mm. the thing about that education was that not only did we start read, you know, reading history so we would understand history, you were reading philosophy to find out who were the philosophers, who were the other authors, what were people saying about these things. But we also started – had some great profs who had us looking at the technology and the effects of technology and science and how all of this was interacting and so that we could really understand the time better. And once you became exposed to that way of looking at, let's say, a novel or reading a novel in that way – you understood so much more and you were so much more open to different viewpoints and ways of reading. So to me, that liberal arts education is a way of increasing people's openness and awareness and sensitivity to just the multiple ways that things can be seen and considered. I have I've just, so if you take someone who's, let's say studying engineering or one of the sciences and you strip out that liberal arts education. And this is what we talked about before, Tony is you get people who don't understand the ethical implications of what they're doing. Well, and it, yeah, not, and not just the ethical implications, but like, Oh, the historical, all well. the, you know, well, you know, what, it, how it might affect, you know, you know, whether, whether it's ethical, whether it's psychological, whether it's sociological, um, you know, all of that, uh, 
there, there has to be an awareness there. Um, and yeah, when, you know, and we see the results uh, when it's not. Yes. Yeah. But, um, and, and that's, yeah. And, and yeah, I'm a hundred percent with you on the, uh, on the, uh, on that aspect with the liberal arts education. Um, but specifically, you know, kind of steering a little bit back toward for, specific, foreign languages, which is like a, a part of that, an integral part of that, I think. And always has been. As much as, as you know, I confess, um, I am not. <laughs> I'm not. I am not a foreign language expert. Um, I am not a polyglot. Well, I, I guess by default, like, I kind of am. But um, I've never gotten along well with foreign language study. Um, I avoided it whenever I could. Um, but, yeah, you ask me why I spent 30 years in Japan. Never mind. <laughs> that's, that's a topic for another day. But um, specifically with um, foreign languages, right, um, in addition to its essential uh, contribution to a, a liberal arts education, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of concrete stuff. It goes along with it, right? And then there's a lot of links that I'll, that I'll, I'll, I'll put on the uh, uh, on the webpage and, and in the show notes and things. But um, you know, one of the nice things about you know, talk about with you know my my friends from high school about how lucky we were to be born when we were, and what we were able to glean from little bits of the the old 20th century, and then be able to enjoy the good parts of the 21st century. Uh, and some of the fruit of the the research that's been done in in the last twenty or thirty years has really been great. Um, example: I'm going to. This is from a webpage called Lead with Languages, uh, but specifically about foreign language study, right? So, in addition to that, and, and we're going to keep coming back to that liberal arts idea, but uh, you know, hardcore. It's like people who speak more than one language have improved memory. Improved, just improved, improved, improved. Oh yeah, I don't know. That improved. could be, that might be a chicken and egg thing, right? Maybe people who it might be, it have might better be. memories, they can remember the new words. Well, since I'm studying, since I'm studying Spanish every day for an hour day, I'm I'm relating to this quite well. So it's like improved memory, problem solving, and critical thinking skills, enhanced concentration, ability to multitask, and better listening skills. They switch between competing tasks and monitor changes in their environment more easily than monolinguals, as well as display signs of greater creativity and flexibility. If that weren't enough, <clears throat> Charles, as we age, being bilingual or multilingual <laughs> that was not nice, also, Tony. That was also not helps nice. to stave off mental aging and cognitive decline. Hey, man, I'm older than you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm way on down the road, so... Um, You're not I'm actually – no, you are not yeah. way on down the road. You're what, three years older than me? I'm not sure. We don't need to discuss that at this point. Okay, but <laughs> – And to continue, continue. This is another one. This is one – this is another article. This one says, studies have demonstrated oh, – undocumented, but you'll have the link. You can, can you probe yourself. Studies have demonstrated the cognitive benefits of learning another language, no matter how old you are. <clears throat> These, these studies have shown that bilinguals tend to have bigger brains, better memories, are more creative, better problem solvers, etc. Not only do these advantages make it easier to learn yet more languages, they also make it easier to learn, well, anything. The ability to quickly switch between tasks 
is especially important in today's busy multitasking world. Bilinguals can switch between tasks much faster than their monolingual counterparts and can handle many more tasks at once. So those two um, you know, pretty honed in on the um, well, physiological, you know, mental, you know, brain changes and things that, that uh, uh, occur with foreign language study. And, you know, you know, like I said, I'm studying, I, I, like three or four months now, I've been studying like a foreign language every day. I would, I, I can't say, I have no, I have no evidence of this, but I, I can kind of sense that. Um, I can feel like I did when I was learning Japanese, like the uh, new doors being opened, new paths being beaten down in my brain and things, being able to do things. And um, it's like, yeah, that I, 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 I noticed those things. Like, and it kind of rings true. Hmm. So, so it's kind of... <laughs> why sorry. wouldn't... So with all this stuff, why wouldn't you... Why, why would you not teach this? This is, this is a... It seems like, oh, it's a win-win. And in addition, you know, we'll, you know, maybe get... I assume we'll get to the other things about specific about... Um, more uh, pragmatic advantages of, of um, multilingual ability, but uh, but even even so, the, the lateral uh, benefits are so great that why wouldn't you do that? And and yeah, that might be Latin, I guess, but it doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. I guess. Well, that reference goes to thing i've been arguing about right it's all latin now mm -hmm. so should we move to that i guess we yeah, can sure yeah, yeah. so yeah. this part of this discussion just to frame it for listeners is that i've been trying to talk with people in the language field especially more traditional educators non-technically oriented or technologically oriented people that we have to start dealing with the machine translation issue. Because my argument is that it used to be that a language teacher could identify the use of machine translation by the errors. And now I identify the use of machine translation by the fact that there are a lack of errors, especially in writing. You know, I take a look at something, I go, this is just too good. You know, mm -hmm. um, because that's, that's a pretty significant difference. I mean, Tony, would you agree with that? It's not like it used to be that there were those really strange constructions. And I'm thinking, by the way, about things like DeepL, uh, which is, I think, much better than Google Translate. And that if you learn how to write for it, for example, I use it a lot because I have to get things out in Japanese. And what I'll do is I'll use it to write a message and then say, to ask my wife, can you please check it? And a lot of the time, she's just like, that's fine. There are no mistakes, so I think that's an interesting development. Yeah, I, I at will, least I, I on will, my part, I will agree with you. That it's like really, really improved a lot. I think it's got. I think, I think it still has a very long way to go, and but I, I think it has. Um, it is most useful for somebody who takes the time, as I'm sure you have, to learn what the machine translator is capable of and what it needs. So you feed it what it wants, and then you get a good product. Yes, um, well, the secret is... It, it, it doesn't do a really good job with raw language. Um, but if you're astute enough 
and alert enough to be able to tailor just just like any other AI device, you know, whether it's Alexa or Siri or or DeepL, you need to you know you you learn say okay if you you want this product then this is this is the kind of input I need to give it if I, I want this out output and um, and you learn it it, tra- it trains you how to do that and it is by f- it really has gotten much better than it was but with um, some some language translations Chinese English Japanese English um, it's 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 still pretty rough. Western languages, not so much. It's, it's, it's pretty damn good. French, French, German, uh, Spanish, English. Uh, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Well, I know. Go well. What you said is true. Is that the input is really going to have an effect on it? Now, I tend to write, and I think this is partially the result of being in Japan and communicating to people in English was in written English, you know, reasonably short, concrete sentences. And I find that DeepL does a really good job of taking yes. those and, or my wife finds that it does a very good job of taking that, which kind of brings up an interesting question is that, or an idea that we can use something like DeepL going from English to Japanese to really teach how to write clear, concrete sentences for students, which Mm -hmm. is one of the things I'm planning to do in my writing classes this year is that, hey, you know, if you write something and it's a mess in English, it's going to come out a mess in Japanese. Um, So, but even from Japanese to English, it comes out readable. But the point is that it's at a level that I think for most of our students who will not be using English, because I I don't even know what the number of students who actually learn English in a general education program in a Japanese university, actually how much English they'll actually use in their lives. And, you know, if it's kind of probably a pretty low cost performance ratio you know, they spend all this time learning English and then they end up only having a limited amount of time using it. But I think machine translation is at a point for reading and writing. That And given that a lot of um, companies, a lot of the international communication or most of the international communication is email or mess- short messaging services or text messaging services or something like Slack using reading and writing, that machine translation is fine for most of our students. And that our language teaching and programs need to start looking at how we can teach students to read or write or especially write, but even speaking because it's going to get there reasonably soon, I think, real-time translation for spoken languages to use these tools and that this is going to be the future. Now – Given that if that's true, and this is where my argument comes in, I think, Tony, some, we might differ somewhat on this, is that I think that language teaching is going to change in the future from 
the stage it's at now where we teach the basics of language to the point where pragmatics are going to have to be taught early on. And do you remember that scene, you know, Terminator 1, it's that famous scene where the Terminator's in the room and somebody's banging on the door and his computer brain generates um, like a list of four different possible responses and then one response gets selected and he uses that response to reply to the person banging on the door. I think that's what's going to happen is we have to teach students how to know which of the possible translation options offered is appropriate given the situation, what's the appropriate register, et cetera, et cetera. That's my big thing. And that's why I think we have to start really rethinking about language teaching. And if it goes to pragmatics, then we're going to have to teach a whole lot more than we have about culture and understanding the rules of the language use, you know, rhetoric, everything. Done. Finished. Screed. Finished. Huh? Huh? <laughs> huh? What? Finished. Finished? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, but, 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 yeah. That's that. That's kind of a, a second fork, I guess, in yeah. terms of the practical application of English or or or, or any other foreign language uh, uh, foreign language acquisition um, versus the internal intrinsic benefits. Um, uh, in terms of you know, just enrichment, awareness, sensitivity, etc., uh, etc. Et it that's that's you're not going to get that from deep L. Uh, it's going to get it's going to get you to you, you can order your pizza, and the pizza will come to your house, but it's 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 not going to get you much in terms of. Uh, enrichment or fulfillment or you know, deeper understanding of things. Um, one of the other things that um, often gets dismissed, which I always used to um, hit really hard uh, in my classes, uh, was that um, when you're learning a foreign language, um, this, this, is two, this is two things, this is what I do, I do two things. When you're learning a foreign language, you're also learning uh, a foreign culture. Um, but the but the, the second the double the double whammy on that is um, you're also learning <laughs> surprise surprise um, you're learning all kinds of stuff about your own language and your own culture, and uh, that's just you know magnified like a hundred times if you're actually. Um, involved in some kind of study abroad, even however short it might be, um, living in a in a foreign culture and um, functioning in a in a foreign language, um, nothing will teach you more about your own language and your own culture and your own identity <laughs> um, than that experience. And you're not going to did that. You know, yeah, it's it's nothing pragmatic. It's 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 not you know, it's not getting your pizza. It's it's not getting directions. It's not machine translation. It's it's not creating a, you know, an email response. Um, it's the other thing. It's the other part. Uh, it's intrinsic. It's what learning a foreign language, learning a foreign culture, and you know, in an ideal situation, experiencing it um, teaches you um, not only about that place, that culture, that language, but also about you. 
and your culture and your language. And hey, I'm living it right now. <laughs> I'm living it again right now. And it's, um, yeah, is, is it easy? Hell no. Um, is it interesting? Hell yeah. It's, um, it's fascinating. I was, um, I was, uh, on a FaceTime conversation with my wife, who's still in Japan. And then the, um, the guard at the, at the, at the gate said, you know, on my phone calls, it's like, Hey, you know, Amazon has a package for you. And so I'm talking to my wife in English and I pick up the phone. It's like, Okay, this is essentially like, okay, they blah, 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 blah. Say something in Spanish. It's like, <laughs> hang up the phone. Says, hey, look at me speaking Spanish, which is a thing because it's one of the things that's really been hard here is that when I'm, you know, and it's put in a situation where I need to speak to somebody here in Spanish, my brain <laughs> panics and it starts spitting out whatever it has. Which is very often Japanese, um, and I was able to pull it off and start spewing in the correct language, and it was and it was an accomplishment. Um, and I can only guess at what kind of internal wiring is going on in my brain as I'm doing this, because um, I'm doing the lessons, I'm fine. But when I get into the you know, social situation, I'm panicking. But what it is peripherally outside of that immediate exchange observing what's happening the, that interaction and looking at it and analyzing it and what am i doing what are they doing and how are they reacting how am i reacting and how is this different than it would be in my you know my home country united states how this would be different in japan how this experience here in mexico is different um that's something worth teaching. And, uh, I'm not okay. arguing with that. Oh, okay. Right. Hmm. When I'm talking about pragmatics, right, I'm talking about the actual use of the language, you know, knowing which hmm. register. Right, so, right. for example, in Japanese, you know, do I say watashi, boku, watakushi, right, well, so all those words, right? Ore. In other words, yeah. And first off, I'm going <laughs> to – I, I want to – yeah, right. <laughs> huh? Yeah, so I think the idea I'm trying to get out of my head, which is, of course, what communication's about, and, you know, getting other people's ideas into your head, is that I don't know what percentage of our students actually do benefit from that exposure. And it's... I would say 100%. Okay, because I have some. I don't know. I'm not. Gonna, I don't think it's a hundred percent. Because I have some students who obviously are just <laughs> going through the motions to get the credits and finish their language requirement. Okay, but let's say it's a high percentage. Okay, let's say it's seventy five percent of the students who are taking a lang- learning a language, and in Japan it would mainly be English, and that that is helping helping them become aware of all the things you mentioned more awareness of their own language, more um, understanding different cultures, different values, different approaches. Their brains are beginning to work better. But what I'm saying is that, and this is how I'm tying it back into liberal arts education, is that if we recognize that machine translation, there's going to be the, the, you know, the Star Trek universal translator at some point. I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. Sure, sure. sure. Let, and 
what that means is that you have to be aware of the register. You know, how formal am I supposed to be in this situation? How casual? What's the right way? What kind of – Right. Please. Thank you. Excuse me. How many is right? Right. The idea of, you know, how um, excuse me versus sorry is used. In other words, I don't think that accepting that machine translation is going to be the dominant way people use foreign languages results in less need for that cultural awareness, historical awareness, um, awareness of how your language is you know the structure of your language versus the structure of another language. In fact, I think it's going to require more education and that we're going to have to spend more time teaching our students about the culture, the target culture, not just the target language. We've always taught target language, target culture, but more about the culture, how people communicate, how people share things, uh, how conversations work, the use of open-ended versus closed-ended questions, for example, and how the role, for example, that in English that the responsibility for understanding is on the speaker, whereas in Japan, the responsibility for understanding is on the listener. All those things are necessary, even when – especially more when you're using machine translation, I think, because it's going to impact and affect how you structure the input to the machine translation. Well, so I'm with you there. I yeah. think I think it's kind of um, – it's, it's just this incredible goldmine for us now. To actually show students how valuable or invaluable, valuable, right? I guess invaluable means super valuable, yeah. right? <laughs> that's one, yeah, yeah, it's one of those. It's English like inflammable. Yeah, it's like inflammable, thing, yeah. right? Inflammable, which yeah, is not even are. a word. Yeah. <laughs> that without that knowledge, what seems like an easy, oh, I just have to type this out and people will understand is completely <laughs> wrong. Yeah. And well, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Yeah. I think we're going to have to increase the amount of liberal arts education because otherwise people are they're going to find out that they're sending these messages that are getting really really strange reactions. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not going to know why. But what I meant by the pragmatics thing, Tony, is that usually we teach the basics of language and pragmatics is considered an advanced part of the language of language mm-hmm. learning, I think. And I think it's going to have to be integrated immediately at the beginning. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with you there. Right. So that's what I just mean with my thing about machine translation and liberal arts education. You know, you're going to have to know the history of a country. You're going to have, for example, um, you know, understand aspects of not only the language, but the culture and the differences in how, like, for example, English is used differently in the world Englishes. Sure, and and things that you know you talk about uh, language and culture and just like a very gross you know example, yeah. Um, the different ways that um, not only uh, uh, individuals and uh, pairs and groups and genders are dealt with in, for example, English and in Japanese and in Spanish. Again, which I'm just struggling with, where in Spanish, every noun has a gender. Right. And it's sometimes identifiable by the, the last letter. It's either A or O, but not always. <laughs> well, German is like that also. And so, yeah. Oh, and, I think German, French. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of languages and, and are totally like different, that. It's totally different. We whole, could go on. Yeah. Every word in the sentence changes if you change one thing. Um, 
And, you know, learning that language can't not, you know, restructure your brain in a very interesting way and how you learn to learn. And this is why I meant 100%. So all those kids who are, you know, have zero interest in the class in learning English, they still need to prepare for the test and they need to somehow get 60% on the test. And I'm saying that, yeah, even that is going to help them learn how to learn. And it's going to have some of these positive effects in their little pea brains and it will help them learn other things. Um, but I think there's, and if you know, we getting around, I think there's some other kind of, kind of a back end um, aspect to this that is specific to English education in Japan. Um, is there anything more general about, like, about the, the on this on that particular fork that you, you wanted to throw in before I, yeah, slot onto something? Yeah, else? just one one thing, which is most people. I think don't understand that machine translation will require more awareness on the part of the user than less. I think people think, oh, we don't have to teach language education anymore because people can just get online and type in what they want. And it's like, no, actually, you can't. You have to have so much, you know. It requires a deeper understanding. Understanding because you're – right, because – you're no longer given the excuse, let's say, of being a beginner user. Like I know sometimes like, you know, I've made, when I was in Germany, uh, Europe, and I was, you know, speaking German, I once made some incredible mistake that basically was incredibly offensive. But the only reason that people didn't get upset at me was because they understood that I was a language learner. I would, right. But what's going to happen with machine translation is that we're going to, that's going to go away. People are going to say, well, you don't get license anymore. Yeah, you don't have any excuses anymore. And so when you make a mistake, it's going to have serious repercussions. So I just want to say that I think that the way most people I know are talking or thinking about machine translation is, I think, not right. I think that we're going to have to increase culture studies. We're going to have to increase or work more helping our students understand cultural awareness, intercultural communication differences, a better understanding of how your native language works and how the target language works. And I think it's going to, it's going to force us to like say, well, you know, we're going to actually have to start teaching more basically quote liberal arts. So I just want to end on that. And now you can take it wherever you want to go. Okay. I, I got a couple of things and some, and the, the first things are just kind of like, duh, um, but yeah, it's still it's twenty. It's twenty twenty two. English still international business for the most. Unless you're doing something very Asia specific, it's going to be English. Um, it's a de facto lingua franca. Uh, international travel it defaults to English. Duh, we know that. Um, maybe becoming less critical um, with with. For example, machine translation and uh, things, but something that always um, I always showed my students on the first day of class on my on my own web page, um, just the information you know information that's on the internet. Still, uh, today over fifty percent of internet content is in English, 
And yeah, it's really easy. You know, Google translates. Like you come across an English page, you just translate into whatever language you want. But um, nevertheless, um, that content and being able to, however you do it, uh, navigate it and extract that information. Um, as I told you, that information, information is power. Um, and, you know, in my class, you're going to have to do this. Um, and whether you're, it's your job or whether your kid is sick and you, and you need, you know, you need to get information about certain kind of treatments or medicines or, uh, you know, something about construction of your house. It's like if you're limiting yourself to accessing the web in Japanese, you're looking at 6% of the internet. Um, you need to get beyond that and I'm going to make you do that. And so that was part of it. Um, the other part of the other things are a little bit, a little bit more roundabout. And we've talked about teaching writing. Uh, and we've, you know, kind of argued about like, you know, the, and, and, you know, universally, understandably, um, of course, uh, argued about, not argued, but, you know, discussed the, the utility of the, you know, the, archaic, uh, traditional five-paragraph essay approach. Uh, and whereas for you know, native speakers, you know, Canada, the United States, you, you know, I can, you might persuade me. However, uh, in Japan, teaching, again, teaching English, teaching writing, um, if you're teaching writing and you're having your first classes in April, ask your students about how they have been taught to write essays in Japanese. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know the yeah, answer. It's going to be it's going to be it's going to be zero or close to zero mm-hmm. unless they've gone to an international school. They have not, they have not been taught how to write. So roundabout way. These English writing classes is going to be their first exposure to <laughs> structured, logical, critical, exp- uh, um, sp- expression of their ideas. They haven't had that before. They haven't had that before. And, you know, bless them and kawaii but yeah, they're having to do it in a foreign language. But that's the first time that they're being forced to do it. They haven't had, and we, you know, we we bang our heads against the wall. So why is this so hard? Why is it? It's so hard because they haven't been taught that. And where are they going to learn it except their English classes? This is their first exposure to structured, rational expression. Um, which, huh? Again, I, I I see some value in. Um, one more. Huh? Um, is it just one more yet? I'm, I'm on a 13 screen, so I'm I'm, I'm on paper. And, the, and your yes, we could hear the paper. <laughs> Sorry, no, it's it's like Apologize. it's like ah, you know, it's, it's a very touch, it's yeah. not Zakashi. <laughs> it's homey. It's homey. Um, but also that that thing with like essays and writing the essays, it's like it's like yeah, I know this this. Five paragraph essay construct is totally inadequate. They're never gonna, they're never gonna write a five page. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's the process. 
It's the thought structure. It's the, dis- it's the mental discipline of organizing your ideas, my main idea, supporting ideas, support one, support two. This, they, they haven't had that before. They need that. Anybody needs that. Okay. Second, <laughs> presentations. Where else except their English classes are they going to learn <laughs> to move away from their bullet points of full sentences and 12-point typefaces? They're not going to get that in any other Japanese list. They're only going to get that in their English public speaking presentation skills classes. Only in those classes are their teachers going to teach them to say, no, 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 no. You do not have your audiences read your slides. You do not give your audiences your bullet points in your slides, your deck to read before or during the presentation. No, (laughs) your slides are... Not your presentation. They're there to support the presentation. You are the presentation. Where are they going to learn that if not in their English class? So, especially, you know, specifically English in Japan, I think those are kind of like side loaded (laughs) benefits, but they're benefits nonetheless. I have absolutely no agreement. In fact, I think you're supporting my argument, right? That Machine translation does not reduce the need for that. No, okay. It actually yeah, increases. Yeah, and what I'm saying, yeah. so what happens is most people think that if we go to machine translation, then we don't have to teach anything. And it's like, no, it's exactly that. <laughs> you still, you know, the students have to be exposed to how to design a slide properly, how that presentation is actually done, and how the presentation can be done better. They need to be exposed to the ideas of concrete versus abstract language, for example. It's exactly what you said, that the essay that they write, and here's a, it's a key point is what you said, Tony, is that you didn't specifically mention the value in terms of the mechanics of sentence structure, right? Or grammar. What you're talking about is cohesiveness, coherence, right? The ability to connect ideas logically, to have a overall organization and structure that um, the reader can follow through and react to and respond to. Um, that there is clear communication. None of that, none of that is erased by the use of machine translation. In fact, it's still there. And it's even more important because without that teaching to the students, the students think, ah, I'll just write my Japanese essay in English. (laughs) And it just comes out as, right? So everything you've said is... I think arguing in favor of this kind of change that we have to make, which is more of an emphasis on understanding the the rhetoric, the rules of communication, how the language is organized, how genres are put together, the different kinds of writing styles, the different kinds of domains that the language can be used in. So I see a definite need for an increase in what has been traditional liberal art studies. And I don't think that we're going to see a decrease in the amount of awareness, sensitivity, increased cultural awareness and knowledge, just because students are using machine translation. I see it 
as having actually being being freed up to spend more time teaching about the values or the ways things are used. So in that sense, the possible technological effect of machine translation will actually be in agreement with what you say, which is that the value of learning a language is moving away from just the pure practicality of using the language, being able to, as you said, order a pizza, right? Um, talk, accept an Amazon delivery to a much deeper understanding of the culture and the language. And this is something else is if we actually embrace machine translation, those kids who, those students who just were not able to get the language, no matter how hard they work or don't have the motivation, are going to be able to be exposed to a whole lot more in terms of cultural and national awareness. So I see it as just being a great benefit. I think uh, yeah, I think I, I will I will agree with you on that. And oh, that's a pleasant change. <laughs> because um, I mean, yeah, there's um, especially well, everything, you know, anything. It does you know, you know, politics, economics, <laughs> education. Nothing is right now is a time of um, greatly accelerated change, and uh, nothing is static. And uh, certainly, um, foreign language education is is you know as volatile as it has ever been, um, and uh, you know the impact of technology uh, and how technology is uh, uh, affecting uh, all kinds of intercultural interaction you know, just changing it all kinds of ways at all different levels as, as you know I think that that's partly what you and I are trying to hash out it's like how are all these changes going to affect how we teach and how we should teach <laughs> um, for you know however far down the road we can see you know the rain's pretty heavy out there right now <laughs> you can't see you can't see too far ahead you know with, even with the the fog lights and the the wipers going full blast it's like um we really can't see that far ahead but it it's 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 our responsibility to take stock of what 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 it is here now um and uh do our best to figure that out and uh do what we can to to make sense of it because yeah. And, and as you know, you and I here sitting, we're talking about, and we're, we're struggling trying to figure out the best way to do that. Um, we might be wrong. We might be right. We don't know. Um, but, um, not thinking about it, <laughs> not trying to figure out is, is, is not the way to go. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's an interesting problem. Well, my response, you know, my, is the best way to future-proof language learning is by focusing more on the cultural aspects of the target language and how the language is used, the pragmatics, history, um, economics of the, the target language country, for example, all right? I think that's the best way to future-proof and that it's not going to result in less language classes or less language learning, but more of an 
emphasis, as I said, on those aspects which I've mentioned. That's I think that's the best way to future proof. I think to continue um, just I, I, to teach. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree because yeah. like those those kinds of things that you just mentioned. Those are the valuable those, things. Those, those, they and they don't change so quickly. Right. They're deeply embedded and. Um, and when I talked, you know, just throughout the idea, you know, the idea of like individuals and pairs and groups and, and gender, you know, the way that they're expressed in languages, talk about German, talked about English, Spanish, Japanese. Um, those don't change so fast, and though those are um, a lot more, a lot more stable, a lot more permanent, right. um, and um, and and their effects also uh, stay. Um, yeah, and it's and 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 what you said is, is absolutely right. And those and the the, the classes that I've had, um, the intercultural um, communication classes, those kinds of things, yeah, that's the most fascinating. That, that those are the most interesting. Um, those are the most fun, most rewarding. I I hope for the students as well as myself. But um, yeah, we had a blast. Hmm. The feedback I get from students is that it's. Those things they learn, for example, when you map yeah. out a conversation and how, because we use open-ended questions, let's say in in English, and that the listener will focus on something the speaker said and they'll talk about that. And that's why it's hard to follow an English conversation. When you do those things, um, explain yeah. uh, how, you know, why the emphasis is on the speaker being clear yeah. and Right? They just love that stuff. I've never heard a student say, Thank you very much for teaching me the correct use of, you know, um, you know past tense. <laughs> unless, they they, come to, unless they come to you after class with a TOA question or something. Well, I, I have had. Yeah, you're right. I, right. I have had one student. I had one student this year, a um, really great student, who would ask these really interesting questions about the differences in nuance between oh. use of something because <laughs> yes. they were really, but they were very advanced compared to the other students. And they were and, so earnest, right? And it's like, oh, but they had also, but interestingly enough, they had been raised um, or grew up or educated part of their life in the Middle East. Nah. And it was really, really interesting to nah. see and talk with that student about you know the kind of communicate again. There you go again, and right? You could that, see, you, you could sense the the communicative nuance. Right, this student was totally students, different. Right? Yes, right. You know, this yeah. student so just they stood perceived at, you, things differently than think they could understand things better. And some understand some things not as well. Ah, fascinating, wonderful. Yeah, well, it's you know, it's that thing where you're in a class and you talk to somebody, and it's not because their English is really good, but the way they act or the way they say something, and you kind of go. Okay, you you've been you've been overseas for a while, <laughs> so I I think that we both agree that there's incredible value. I think every student should have to go overseas for a while, yeah. Because as you pointed out, Tony, nothing teaches you more about yourself than being wow. in a completely different country and culture. You suddenly you learn so much more about yourself. So for self awareness, world awareness, just everything. There's no it's life experience, right? It's, it's just, just so, a great thing. It's so to do. life enhancing. Yes. And if there's students listening, if you you know again, COVID, yeah, it, it, it's tapering off and stuff. Okay. But yeah, we've talked about it with study abroad before and things. But if you have ever have the chance, you know, wherever you're, you know, whatever language you're studying, if you have the chance to live overseas, just go grab the ring. 
It's going to be hard. It's going to be yeah. difficult. It'll be yeah. traumatic. Yeah. It'll be the best time of your life. Right. And I just want to kind of end on one thing, and that's kind of a, a, a side note or a segue a little bit, but it goes back to the liberal arts education thing. Okay. I teach in an English education program where we're teaching let's, you know, people, young people who want to be language teachers. And I get students and I'll ask them, I'll say, by the way, have you ever read Pitt Quarter's seminal essay on the significance of <laughs> learners' language errors, right? I forget the exact title of the article. I think it's 1967. And so they say, no. I say, really? Do you guys get like a class in the history of second language acquisition? Do you guys know about Chomsky and, you know, when he did his takedown of Skinner? And they go, no. And I actually require my seminar students to read some of these articles. And the reason is, I say, if you don't know the history, you don't know what's being repeated. You don't get to see how things are fashionable and they come in and they go in and out of fashion or they go in and out. You know, for example, understanding, um, you know, the um, grammar, the learning of grammar and how for a while it was like considered not important and now it's considered important. So, again – those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it. Santiana, right? Mm. So again, I think where you really do see a need and recognize the need for increased knowledge, increased awareness of the world, and that it benefits people and helps people. And on that note, I'm going to not say anything else. Yeah. We're, and applause, we're, we're, applause from yeah, the audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yay. Yeah, yeah. It benefits people and benefits as an individually and it benefits us as a whole. It just creates a better society when people, you have more people in the society who are aware and sensitive and, um, you know, tuned into <laughs> worlds other than, you know, their immediate, you know, 100 meters around themselves. There's a big world out there, and, and we all benefit from learning about it. And um, yeah, well, current events bear that out. I don't need to say anything about that. Okay. All right. So, anything okay. else you want to add, or I think we got a wrap. I think we're okay. I think okay. we're good. And so, yeah, we we are, we diverge and can come together, but actually, we're closer than um, than. Than I thought, anyway. Well, I always thought that was funny that you thought we had different ideas about this. But um, that's something for another day. Okay. Okay. All right. So I'm Charles Wiz. Tony Silva. And we're two teachers talking at you know where. <laughs> well, where are we? Yeah. Where are you, Tony? <laughs> Kobe, Kobe, Japan, and Kretaro, Mexico. Okay. All right, Tony. Well, Bienvenido a México, mina san. Yeah, there I go. Okay. <laughs> As I said before. All right, Tony. All righty. You be well. See you. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>